Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Exurga deus dissipentur inimici eius, et fugiancio deruntium a facia eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered and let all those who hate him Flee from before his face. Bringing a story to you from Zero Hedge that I think will help in explaining why it seems like we have no earthly idea what's going on in the Russian mind, particularly in Vladimir Putin's mind. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Archangel, defende nos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias, diaboli est opraecidium. Imperatili Deus, supplicis de precamur, duque princeps militae calestis, satana maliosque, spiritus malignos, que ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum detrude. Amen. <coughs> Cor Jesus Sacratissimum Miserere Nobis, Mater Dolorosa, Ora Pro Nobis. Beatis Carolus e Domo Austriae, Ora Pro Nobis. Domine ostende facium tuum et salvi erimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. <coughs> From Zero Hedge, written by Pepe Escobar via The Cradle, and brought to us by, of course, Tyler Durden. Clash of Christianities, Why Europe Cannot Understand Russia Western Europeans see the Orthodox and Eastern Christians as satraps and a bunch of smugglers, while the Orthodox regard the Crusaders as barbarian usurpers bent on world conquest. Christianity once again at the heart of a civilizational battle, this time among Christians themselves. Under a ubiquitous, toxic atmosphere of cognitive dissonance drenched in Russophobia, it's absolutely impossible to have a meaningful discussion on finer points of Russian history and culture across the NATO space, 
a phenomenon I'm experiencing back in Paris right now, fresh from a long stint in Istanbul. At best, in a semblance of civilized dialogue, Russia is pigeonholed in the reductionist view of a threatening, irrational, ever-expanding empire, a way more wicked version of ancient Rome, Achaemenid Persia, Ottoman Turkey, or Mughal India. The fall of the USSR a little over three decades ago did hurl Russia back three centuries to its borders in the 17th century. Russia historically had been interpreted as a secular empire, immense, multiple, and multinational. This is all informed by history, very much alive even today in the Russian collective unconscious. When Operation Z started, I was in Istanbul, the second Rome. Would have been better to say Constantinople, but whatever. I spent a considerable time of my late night walks around the Hagia Sophia, reflecting on the historical correlations of the second Rome with the third Rome, which happens to be Moscow, since the concept was first announced at the, at the start of the 16th century. Later, back in Paris, banishment to soliloquy territory seemed inevitable until an academic appointed me to some substance although heavily distorted by political correctness, available in the French magazine Historia. There, at least an attempt to discuss the third... There's, there's at least an attempt to, di- to discuss the third Rome. <clears throat> the significance of the concept was initially religious before becoming political, encapsulating the Russian drive to become the leader of the Orthodox world, in contrast with Catholicism. This has to be understood also in the context of pan-Slavic theories springing up under the first Romanov and then reaching their apogee in the 19th century. Eurasianism, and its several declinations, treats the complex Russian identity as double-faced between East and West. Western liberal democracies simply can't understand that these ideas, infusing varied brands of Russian nationalism, do not imply hostility to, quote, enlightened Europe, but an affirmation of difference. And they could learn a bit more from, uh, they could learn a bit from reading more Giles Deleuze, uh, for that matter. Eurasianism also weighs on closer relations with Central Asia and necessary alliances in various degrees with China and Turkey. A perplexed liberal West remains hostage to a vortex of Russian images which it can't properly decode. From the two-headed eagle, which is the symbol of the Russian state since Peter the Great, to the Kremlin uh, cathedrals, the St. Petersburg Citadel, the Red Army entering Berlin in 1945, the May 9th parades, the next one will be particularly meaningful, and the historical figures from Ivan the Terrible to Peter the Great, At best, and we're talking academic-level experts, they identify all of the above as flamboyant and confused imagery. The Christian Orthodox Divide The apparently monolithic liberal West itself also cannot be understood if we forget how, historically, Europe is also a two-headed beast. One head may be tracked from Charlemagne all the way to the awful Brussels Eurocrat machine, and the other one comes from Athens and Rome via Byzantium Constantinople, the second Rome, and reaches all the way to Moscow, the third Rome. 
Latin Europe for the Orthodox is seen as a hybrid usurper, preaching a distorted Christianity which only refers to St. Augustine, practicing absurd rites and neglecting the very important Holy Ghost. The Europe of Christian popes invented what is considered a historical hydra, Byzantium, where the Byzantines were actually Greeks living under the Roman Empire. <clears throat> Western Europeans, for their part, see, or, see the Orthodox and the Christians from the East, see how they were, how they were abandoned by the, West, by the West in Syria under ISIS and Al-Qaeda, as satraps and a bunch of smugglers. While the Orthodox regard the Crusaders, the Teutonic Chevalier, and the Jesuits, correctly we must say, as barbarian usurpers bent on world conquest, <clears throat> in the Orthodox canon, a major trauma is the Fourth Crusade in 1204, which utterly destroyed Constantinople. The Frankish Chevaliers happened to eviscerate the most dazzling metropolis in the world, which congregated at the time all the riches from Asia. That was the definition of cultural genocide. The Frankish also happened to be aligned with some notorious serial plunderers, the Venetians. No wonder from that historical juncture onwards, a slogan was born. Quote, better the Sultan's turban than the Pope's tiara. Close quote. <clears throat> so since the 8th century, Carolingian and Byzantine Europe were de facto at war across an iron curtain from the Baltics to the Mediterranean, compared with the emerging, emerging new iron curtain of Cold War 2.0. After the barbarian invasions, they neither spoke the same language nor practiced the same writing, rites, or theology. This fracture significantly also trespassed Kiev. The West was Catholic, 15% of Greek Catholics and 3% of Latins, and in the center and east, 70% Orthodox, who became hegemonic in the 20th century after the elimination of the Jewish minorities by mainly the Waffen SS of the Galicia Division, the precursors to Ukraine's Azov Battalion. Constantinople, even in decline, managed to pull off a sophisticated geostrategic game to seduce the Slavs, betting on Muscovy against the Catholic-Polish-Lithuanian combo. The fall of Constantinople in 1453 allowed Muscovy to denounce the treason of the Greeks and Byzantine-Armenians who rallied around the Roman Pope, who badly wanted a reunified Christianity. Afterward, Russia ends up constituting itself as the only Orthodox nation that did not fall under Ottoman domination. Moscow regards itself as Byzantium, as a unique symphony between spiritual and, tem and temporal powers. Third Rome becomes a political concept only in the 19th century after Peter the Great and Catherine the Great had vastly expanded Russian power. The key concepts of Russia, empire, and orthodoxy are fused. That always implies Russia needs a near abroad and that bears similarities with Russian President Vladimir Putin's vision, which significantly is not imperial, but cultural. As the vast Russian space has been in constant flow for centuries, that also implies the central role of the concept of encirclement. Every Russian is very much aware of territorial vulnerability. Remember, for starters, Napoleon and Hitler. Once the West borderland is trespassed, it's an easy ride all the way to Moscow. Thus, this very unstable line must be protected. The current correlation is the real threat of Ukraine made, is the real th threat of Ukraine made to host NATO bases. Onward to Odessa.
With the fall of the USSR, Russia found itself in a geopolitical situation last encountered in the 17th century. The slow and painful reconstruction was spearheaded on two fronts, the KGB, later the FSB, and the Orthodox Church. The highest level interaction between the Orthodox clergy and the Kremlin was conducted by Patriarch Kirill, who later became Putin's Minister of Religious Affairs. Ukraine, for its part, had become a de facto Moscow protectorate way back in 1654 under the Treaty of Pereslav. Much more than a strategic alliance, it was a natural fusion in progress for ages by two Orthodox Slav nations. Ukraine then falls under the Russian orbit. The Russian domination expands until 1764, when the last Ukrainian hetman, commander-in-chief, is, supposed, is officially deposed by Catherine the Great. That's when Ukraine becomes a province of the Russian Empire. As Putin made it quite clear this week, Russia cannot allow the creation of an anti-Russian territories around the country. Operation Z will inevitably encompass Odessa, founded in 1794 by Catherine the Great. The Russians at the time had just expelled the Ottomans from the northwest of the Black Sea, which had been successfully run by Goths, Bulgars, Hungarians, and then Turkish peoples all the way to the Tatars. Odessa at the start was peopled, believe it or not, by Romanians who were encouraged to settle there after the 16th century by the Ottoman sultans. Catherine chose a Greek name for the city, which at the start was not Slav at all and very much like St. Petersburg, founded a century earlier by Peter the Great. Odessa never stopped flirting with the West. Tsar Alexander I in the early 19th century decides to turn Odessa into a great trading port, developed by a Frenchman, the Duke of Richelieu. Now, those of us who are somewhat read would, would understand that there is a clear correlation because in this time, the Duke of Richelieu would have been in the aftermath of Cardinal Richelieu. It was from the port of Odessa that Ukrainian wheat started to reach Europe. By the turn of the 20th century, Odessa is truly multinational, after having attracted, among others, the genius of Pushkin. Odessa is not Ukrainian. It is an intrinsic part of the Russian soil. And as soon as the trials and tribulations of history, and soon the trials and tribulations of history will make it so again, as an independent republic, as part of the Novorossiya Confederation or attached to the Russian Federation. The people of Odessa will decide. And that being the end of the article, I will go ahead and add that not only will the people of Odessa decide, but the West will interfere. <clears throat> now, some of this is actually boiled down just a little bit too much. This article is actually a very, very good sort of... Um, quick, hey, this, these are the things that the West don't, doesn't understand about Russia. And to be sure, you hear it in Catholic circles talking about, well, Orthodox is not, Orthodox is not Catholicism. And this is true. The Orthodox faith is not Catholicism. In fact, every time the Roman Church establishes a dogma, the Orthodox Church heads in the other direction. This, is, this was made most clear in right around 1830, when the dogma of the, right around the mid-19th century, when the dogma of the Immaculate Conception was defined, and, and right around the time Our Lady of Lords, <clears throat> Our Lady at Lords, identified herself to St. Bernadette, 
as the Immaculate Conception. It was at that time that the Orthodox Church stopped teaching the Immaculate Conception. What does that mean? That means that before, before the 19th century, the Orthodox Church taught the concept of the Immaculate Conception, even though it was not officially established as a dogma, but from there, it would weaken. Now, there is also a secondary thing, because what was one of the things in the Second Vatican Council? They wanted to sort of re-embrace the Holy Ghost. Well, dear family, there's a, there's a priest who talks about how part of the reason why Mary is called the Immaculate Conception is specifically because the, the Immaculate Conception refers to the Holy Ghost. The, the, the origination of the concept of the Immaculate Conception is that when God regards himself and he sees the Son of God, it is that perfect love, that Immaculate Conception of himself regarding himself that is the Holy Ghost. I know it's a complex idea, and I may have actually just botched it a bit, and so I pray that I did not. But is but it is the love that flows between the Father and the Son that is the Holy Ghost. Well, that Holy Ghost is the husband of the Blessed Mother. Is the spouse. Mary is the spouse of the Holy Ghost. Because it is through the Holy Ghost that, or it is by the Holy Ghost, that Mary conceives of Jesus, the Son of God. So when, so when we regard the Blessed Mother, particularly under her title as the Immaculate Conception, we are also giving homage to God the Holy Ghost. These things are all intrinsically tied together. And you'll remember that one of the things the Second Vatican Council wanted to try and push on all of Catholics was a greater veneration for the Holy Ghost in the same way that they do in the East. Well, of course, the great theologians at the time, all of the people who are well-versed in exactly what the Russian, what the, what the Eastern concept of the Holy Ghost is, they had no problem with it. But for the West, the concept was still a little bit alien. In fact, the concept was alien enough that it cast a pall over my previous description of God regarding himself in the Son and the love that flowed between them between them being the Holy Ghost. Kind of a difficult concept. Like you can wrap your head around it sort of absolutely abstractly, but if your brain operates in any way such as mine, there's a lot of static as you try to regard that concept. especially if you're trying to picture it in your mind. Western Christianity, Catholicism, Western Catholicism, not Eastern Catholicism, <clears throat> Western Catholicism 
has a lot of difficulties with this, which is carried over because you can see it in a failure for the Catholic uh, talking heads, those of us who are dumb enough to actually talk about this stuff. You can see it in our consistent caution against the, particularly with regards to the message at Fatima, our caution against, you know, this um, development of a Russian Christian empire because Orthodox is not Catholic. Orthodox is not in union with Rome. You can see, well, I hope you can see, I can see when I read that when I read this article that there is a semblance of the same thing, that same sort of um, exceptionalism. For those of you who recall the term American exceptionalism, um, there is a Russian exceptionalism. The Russian except, exceptionalism is that their capital has never been conquered by a foreign power. that Russian orthodoxy had never been conquered by a foreign power. Now, it, huh. they're, of course, neglecting the fact that <clears throat> communism was a foreign power. The concept was a foreign power. It came, for, it came from Freemasonry, which is most definitely a product of the West. And, to be sure, when you look at the way the West handles itself, that caricature of the Western, uh, of the uh, Crusader as a barbarian usurper bent on world conquest. In all honesty, can you can you really blame? Sweden is now looking at joining NATO. Finland is now looking at joining NATO. They're borderlands. I mean, granted, they have a thin little strip of land that actually connects them with Russia, but they're still borderlanded with Russia. How is NATO not still spreading? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I can tell you that if I were the Pope, I would condemn NATO. I would condemn the European Union. I would condemn all of the attempts to create a global temporal power that is disunited from the cross of Christ. Because it is that temporal power that's pushing this bollocks great reset. The idea that we can have a global empire without giving homage to Christ the King. Now, I can't speak for what's going on in Russia. I have a sense of it, but there's not enough there for me to really say one way or the other. But I can explicitly see more than enough of NATO, of the European Union, of the United States of America to condemn their actions whole cloth. Because they're not looking at creating an empire of Christ the King. They're looking at creating an empire in the image of man. And not even in the image of man, in the image of a transhuman. As they continue to push the transhuman agenda, but we can redesign ourselves to make ourselves better, stronger, faster, smarter. There's nothing, nothing in sacred scripture, nothing in the historical tradition, nothing in the brain of a human being that can look at transhumanism and say, oh yeah, that's probably not going to go terribly wrong. There's nothing there. We have cautions against it time and time and time again. Because if because anybody who's looking at the world from a balanced perspective can see precisely where all of these grand ideas, these various towers of Babel, can go wrong. If Gene Roddenberry in the 1960s can see genetic engineering and the creation of a superhuman species... As a, as a potential and imminent tragedy. He himself, who was not overly fond of Christianity, but could look at that and go, eh, that's probably going to go wrong. If he can figure it out, why can't we figure it out? Why? Because the same people who completely missed the point of Gene, Rod Gene Roddenberry's story are the ones who were like, oh my goodness, that would be so cool if, if we could do it. And to be sure, the people who are pushing it the hardest are the ones who grew up watching that claptrap. They grew up watching Gene Roddenberry's stories on television. And like George Orwell's 1984, and like Animal Farm, and like all of the other science fiction cautionary tales that have come out time and time and time again 
our ancestors, the boomers, saw it as something to aspire to rather than something to rather than something to flee from. And they would have seen it as something to flee from had they remained in the faith. But they couldn't be bothered to remain in the faith. And so they see all of the death and destruction that they're wreaking upon the world. The millions and millions of children sacrificed in their mother's womb. The destruction of territorial integrity. The the utter sodomitical rape of the concept of justice. And they think it's progress. They think it's all progress. Well, that's easy enough to condemn. It's simple enough to condemn. You can see it clearly. You can see it across the world. You can see it all over the place in every hearth and home, in every parish church, particularly the ones that are run by Susan from the parish council. You can see it in the synodal synodal path of the German Conference of Bishops. You can see it on the Synod of Synodality. We can see it in the aftermath of the Second Vatican Council. And after a manner, Christianity in a pure form was maintained in chrysalis under the dominion of the Soviet regime. Well, the Soviet regime is gone. And it's taken some time. But Christianity is moving back to its pride of place in Russia. Yes, Orthodox is not Catholic. Got it. But everything we've got going on in the West is not Catholic either. It doesn't even subscribe to Christianity anymore. So those of us who are looking and saying, oh, well, it couldn't possibly... Well, no. It couldn't possibly... Oh, they couldn't possibly be the good guys. Um, In a world between bad and worse, bad newsflash people are the good guys. The utterly diabolical, demonic thing that we have going on in the West is absolutely evil. It is predicated on starvation. It is predicated on the forfeiture of private property, which as any idiot can read the Ten Commandments and see that somewhere in there, we're supposed to have private property and the integrity of of the spousal contract and the integrity of the family is integrated into the natural design, the design left to us by God. You can tell it in the Ten Commandments. No, no, it's not explicit in the Ten Commandments, but it's most certainly inferred. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not covet your neighbor's goods. Well, your neighbor can't have goods. There is no concept of theft without ownership. And adultery and theft are usurpations of ownership. You never refer to your spouse 
as the wife. She is my wife or your wife. He is my husband or your husband. It's never the husband unless you're being derisive. It's never the wife unless you're being derisive. And when you're being derisive, you're being derisive to that concept of ownership. The concept of commitment, of oath, of vow. You will own nothing and you will be happy is diabolical at its core. The World Economic Forum's concept is diabolical. It's demonic. The Build Back Better plan is demonic. It doesn't matter that we've got some crusty, half-dead Catholic in, in the Oval Office pushing it. It's demonic. And that crusty, half-dead Catholic had better repent before he becomes full dead, or he will be damned. And I will laugh at him. We have to remember as Catholics that we're supposed to choose the most good. So in a choice between utterly devoid of anything good and barely anything good, you choose barely anything good. Maybe we need to remember that. Because all of the people who are coming out and, and spitting all this evil in the Russian direction are forgetting. Yeah, he's not totally evil. Putin himself might be wicked to his core. I can't know his heart. But what he's doing is not totally evil. Whereas what the West is doing is utterly depraved, utterly evil. And it is not patriotism to support the utterly evil. It is patriotism to correct, admonish, and resist evil. Because it is, it, <laughs> charity doesn't support. Well, let's put it this way. It is not, all of you who understand know that it is not charitable to confirm a sodomite in their sin. It is charitable to correct them. It is charitable to admonish them. It is charitable to pray for them. It is not charitable to confirm them in their wickedness. The same is true for our country. It is charitable to correct the course. It is not charitable to confirm these people in their Build Back Better trash. It is, in fact, more charitable, more patriotic for your nation to eliminate the people who are pushing this garbage because they clearly have the power to carry forward whether or not we agree. 
It is more charitable to eliminate these people, to get them out of their positions of power, by whatever means are necessary, and to correct the course. What are we doing, though? We're just kind of standing back. Because our system doesn't have the corrective parts. It doesn't have the, it doesn't have the mechanisms. Oh, sure, we have the First Amendment, freedom of religion, speech, press, the right to assemble, and the right to, re, uh, to uh, petition the government for redress of grievances. And yet our government is ignoring us on religion, on speech, on press, on the right to assembly, and ignoring all of our petitions for the redress of grievances. Weird. This is why I don't believe in the Constitution. I'm willing to concur with the Constitution's operation, so long as the Constitution's operation is not inhibited by the avarice, greed, envy, pride of man. But since, as a nation, we've completely abandoned virtue, guess what? I will not support the Constitution of the United States, because the Constitution of the United States, as evidenced by the actions of the Western governments, particularly our own government, our own people who just created a ministry of truth under the Department of Homeland Security, two organizations which have absolutely no business under the United States Constitution. If they will not abide by the rules they set for themselves, then we cannot abide by them. And something new is needed. In this case, the something new that's needed is the extirpation of all parties not interested in in abiding by the oaths that they have taken. All parties. Until then, I don't know why anybody would support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Why? And how many of us understand that the Constitution of the United States is not just those 19 little half pages that you see in those little booklets that you keep in your pocket, for those of you who do so, but it is also the 3,000 plus pages of court documents as established by the Supreme Court. <clears throat> Another mechanism that was supposed to do something, and yet in this last year alone, we have seen the White House ignore it time and time and time again. So what we have going on in our country is utterly evil. We don't even have right intent. Now whether you agree whether you agree or disagree with the methods going on in Russia, their stated intent does match what they're doing, which leads me to believe that there is at least not total depravity in the intent of Russia. And because I cannot support utter depravity, I cannot support total degeneracy, I cannot support absolute evil, I won't. 
I refuse. If that makes me a Putin stooge, well, consider the people who are calling me a Putin stooge. Because every last one of them are evil. They're evil in every one of their actions. They're, they cannot speak the truth. And so if they call me a Putin stooge and they cannot speak the truth, then clearly I don't have anything to worry about them, uh, from them. And it is time. It is long past time that we get the scales off of our eyes and begin to see at least somewhat clearly. And that starts with returning to what Christianity is. And returning ourselves to what Catholicism is. Because every single time you see one of these travesties perpetrated on another people by Catholics, what is the one thing that they, those Catholics are not doing? They are not being Catholic. They're not living out the Catholic faith. Now, I can't speak to what it means to live out the Orthodox faith. I can kind of a little bit. And I can most certainly tell you that my, fr that my Orthodox friend, who I believe is actually Rokor, my Orthodox friend is far more Christian, far more Catholic than any of the other people who are in my orbit with the exception of the few Catholics who are in my orbit. The people who are telling us, oh, Russia is evil, are the same people who are absolutely incapable of telling the truth. So while I'm not going to say that Russia is good, by any stretch, neither am I going to concur with the narrative that Russia is evil, that Putin is evil. I'm not, because the people who are saying it have not spoken the truth in at least five years. Think about that. They have not spoken the truth in at least five years. Not one word. It is in our interest to be sure to understand exactly where the Russian Empire is coming from. And I'm not going to call them the new Soviet Union. Putin may be former KGB. Patriarch Kirill might be a quote-unquote stooge of the FSB and the KGB. They could be. Or they could just be the orthodox version of Alexander Hamilton. And for the record, I actually have no love for any of the founding fathers of this country. Because all of them were debauched, degenerate, delusional. Except maybe one. 
but every last one of them to a man was a Freemason. And we have seen what Freemasonry has brought to the earth. The Build Back Better crowd are the progeny of Freemasonry. You'd best believe it. As always, pray for the church, pray for your nation, and pray for us in Catholic social media so that we can each maintain that clarity of vision so that we don't guide you in the wrong direction. Because those of us who have decided to step into the public sphere, yeah, I'm not a priest, but I'm still going to be accountable for every thought, word, and deed of this podcast because of you. No, I'll always be praying for you. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.